Welcome to The Travelling Senorita, episode 181. I am sitting in northern New South Wales, absolutely hanging, got a hankering for travel. I just can't stop anymore. Um, And I'm about to head to Perth next week. But before I do that, I needed to speak to someone overseas so that I could just feel again what it's like to jump off the island of Australia for a little while and plan my trip next year. And one of those trips I would like to plan is to head back to Japan. So one of my friends and uh, digital creator also uh, in the travel space, Tracy Collins, is over in Japan at the moment. And I thought what a great time to podcast with her about her new exciting project, but also talk to her about how an educator, teacher, gets into travel. So welcome this morning, travel, uh, travel. Tracy, hello. <laughs> hey, Kaylee. Hey, uh. How weird was that? I'm just like literally dreaming, sleeping, eating travel, and I just called you travel. Oh, no, well, there you go. Tracy's Travel, you see, that was my first website. It kind of goes. Tracy's Travel. It does work, doesn't it? Now, before yeah. we get into travel, because a lot of people that are listening are avid travellers or people wanting to get into the travel space uh, work-wise, but I wanted to talk to you today about how a teacher, somebody that had travelled a lot in her younger life, as an educator, how you transition into this space. But before we do that, let's talk about where you grew up and who you are. Okay, so I was born in Northumberland in England, um, 50 something years ago, we won't go into the exact number of that one. (laughs) Um, But then uh, my parents divorced when I was quite young. So uh, my mom and stepdad moved to Southern Africa. So myself and my brother moved there. Um, So I actually grew up between the UK and South Africa. Um, So that was my kind of childhood years. And then I went to university in South Africa before uh, getting into my 20s and decided that I wanted to travel more. So I always loved travel from a very young age. I was pretty obsessed with it. Um, So as soon as I finished university uh, at 21, I moved to France. Um, So I lived in France for a couple of years after that. And then really... Let's talk a little bit about South Africa, because for those that don't know South Africa, I mean, you'd have a really good insight on, uh, you know, growing up there and the culture. Tell me a little bit about a young Tracy growing up in South Africa. Um, Well, obviously, I grew up during the apartheid era. Mm -hmm. uh, So that was very challenging and very difficult. Um, I did go to a private school in South Africa. So um, that was kind of different, I guess, from the experience from other people in that um, it was it was mixed. There was no none of the rules in terms of, um, you know, the whites only where you would, it, the difficulty would come after school if you wanted to do things like go to the cinema together or go out to a restaurant together that we couldn't do that. Those restrictions were there. So it was more about we could go to each other's houses. But um, yeah, that that did have an, a profound impact, I think, and particularly when I was at university because I studied history. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the control of the apartheid government over what you could read and what you could have access to. Um, so yeah, that was, um, I, I left South Africa at the end of 88 um, and so I moved to France at that point. Um, and I think what well, I used to go back to the UK quite often and, and I did take uh, uh, could access things that you couldn't access in South Africa. Mm. So things like books by Donald Woods, who was a, a journalist who had escaped South Africa. Uh, he was a friend of Steve Biko. So he'd escaped South Africa in the early 80s. So 
kind of being able to access things that you couldn't access in South Africa was, I think, quite important. And I would take some of that stuff back into South Africa. Um, but yeah, it's difficult when you're kind of grown up with that to, to make sense out of it. Well, I think it what it might do is actually help you um, understand a little bit more about today, the future, where we are right now. Because we still have, uh, I mean, apartheid is, was way before certain things that are going on in Australia, certain things that are going on in China. I mean, for me, that would give you a good grounding on how to understand, yeah, the, the separation in, in countries. I think it just makes me always kind of... See, sometimes it makes me see the worst in what people can do to other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, it really does. Um, and try and kind of think in a different way and that underneath... And we're all the same. And that's the mm. thing that travel... You know, you travel... Yes, we have different cultures. We have different languages. We, we may eat different foods, whatever. But fundamentally, we're all the same. Mm. Um, and and that's that's something I guess that that you know hung over me from the, the experience of childhood about why would you judge somebody mm. based on the color of the skin or uh, the religion or you know or the yeah it's it's a very it's a, we could talk all day about I guess the impact on that but for me it was um, it was to get out of that kind of oppressive regime and be able to to leave and go and travel and and uh yeah yeah it's it, it is a difficult time to talk about and probably yeah. some a time i should reflect on more but well i think it's because of what we're going through in australia at the moment like yeah. i often well, yeah i often refer to it it's probably too strong as apartheid but um after the re- referendum and digging yeah. a little deeper i studied archaeology at university so i kind of like I'm a bit ashamed, I would say, of um, you know pushing the the old sixty five thousand years of culture under the mat in Australia. So, yeah. yeah. You know, and then and then post the referendum, you know, a lot of myself and my allies are, are just devastated on 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 that. And then there's times when I often refer to the word word apartheid in South Africa because we still have streets in Australia that are called Boundary Street and Boundary Road, which some of them, yep, are a boundary of a, of a um, area, but generally they're boundaries for blacks to be on one side and white on the other at certain times. So I've mentioned that to you before, and I just think that someone that's been through what you have has got a way better understanding on the future of how that can look and how bad it can get. Yeah, I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked with the referendum. I really was. And I, I knew beforehand the prediction was that the, that no would win. And I was like, why Why would it? Why yeah. could it? Or yeah. how could it? Yeah. it? To me, it wasn't even it's such an obvious yes. And a bit of a shock that even we're in this position in you know, 2023 that you have to ask that question. It should be an obvious yes. Does that take um, you back? Did that take you back to those years when you were in, in a way of thinking about what yeah, we went through? Yeah. And you know what? I guess it's like because in, in South Africa it had a name. Yeah. Yes, correct. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it still exists and, and those that, um, yes, racism and mm. those those ideas still live on and i certainly think we're getting into a, a world which is far more right-wing mm-hmm. and it's it, and also i mean we i was in the uk in 2016 when brexit mm, uh, right. went through which which was devastating i could not believe mm, particularly as a traveler not could, being selfish but particularly as a traveler <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, but also uh, some of the things that I read and yeah. things that people were saying, it was all based on fear, and it's always done on fear. This kind of, you know, if you, oh, we, we can't all be equal because if we do that, then they're going to take away what you have, and yeah. that's that 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 general kind of. Well, that's what I was hearing. This is what I was hearing. out. This is what I was hearing, and you've been where I am in the beach area, which I'm currently um, selling because I, I I need to go overseas. I just need to jump off for a while for my own reasons that. Yeah, pretty strong. Um, I, I just was hearing things like they're going to take our houses. Um, haven't we given them enough? And yeah, I have to walk away from those conversations. As you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve and my face says it all. But I just, yeah, I was disappointed that, as you said, we're in, you know, 2023 and, you know, but, but Australia's, it, we're like that here. I mean, it's got lifestyle. We've got lifestyle with a capital L. We've absolutely covered that. But there's so many other things we need to do. So without um, harping on that too much, because you are an educator, and I love the way that you went into, you're a history teacher, correct? Is that what you That's ended right. up? Yeah. yeah, so it doesn't that all match up when you think about your childhood and then you went to France to study and then you became a teacher of history in high school. Um, and, and so tell me about that and why you wanted to do that. Well, there's a few things actually. Um, interesting to talk about France. When I was at school, I tried to learn French, and I had a teacher to, who told me I'd never learn French, and it always stuck in my head. I was about ten, and I was like, "Well, you know what? I can't. If I want to learn French, I'm going to learn French." Don't you love those teachers? Right. Not. Oh, I, well, I was never one of those teachers. I can't. I can't bear that attitude. And so, good on you. Um, I moved to France, and within six months, I was completely fluent, thinking wow. in French. Wow. Good on you. I worked. Um, they spoke exclusively French with me and I, I looked after the kids and they didn't speak any English so I had to learn French and I remember at the time thinking you know what I'd love to see that teacher now and just speak to her because my French is 10 times better than hers <laughs> um, I love that about, I love that and about I, you <laughs> and I kind of kept that kind of that same kind of ethos and motivation when I went into teaching myself so actually there was a qualified as a history teacher and I did teach history for, for some of the time I actually ended up specializing in working with kids who were at risk of permanent exclusion from school. Right. So I worked with those kids that, that would be the, you know, telling you to, to F off or throwing a chair across the room or whatever. And we're talking with children aged three and above. Wow. Um, yeah. So I my, my aim was to work with the adults um, to understand how to work with those kids um, because they deserved an education and they needed our help to access the education. So, so that's what I did. So I did that for for a long time before, before moving to Australia. But travel was always in the background. So um, I had my daughter in my late twenties. So I did a lot of travel with her, solo travel um, with her. So teaching worked out really well, and that we had the school holidays. So it meant that over the especially over the six weeks in the UK, we could go. We could travel during that point so she traveled i think she's by the time she was 19 she'd been on every continent but south america so um i did a lot of travel with her and i was very keen on the kids that i worked with as well because i worked with secondary school and motivating specifically the girls as well about you don't have to just live in the town that you were born in you could actually there's a whole world out there to go and explore what a great so, i wish you, um, i wish you were my teacher because i didn't i didn't i just was born with a passport in my mouth and I had a family that was very much like growing up in a country area and not really, my brother was out and about as a musician, but it, the actual family was like, oh, we don't travel, we don't get on planes. And I didn't have any teachers around either. So I, I'm not sure, you know, and there was no one actually inspiring me to. It was just that I knew there was a big wide world out there that needed to be explored um, and I needed to be part of it. <laughs> so I didn't have anyone inspiring me. 
I think by that point, by my late twenties, I'd lived in six countries and worked in six countries. Wow. I think by that point, so it, it was good to be able to talk to the kids about yeah. about the, what was out there, really, um, and you know, talk to them about those experiences. You would have made a real difference in their lives, Tracy. And like fast forwarding, because you know, as an educator, I just I actually think it's one of the one of those disciplines that really does work with being what you are now, which is a travel podcast host, a content creator, um, and you've made a life out of digital, uh, global digital, I say nomad, but you've actually made that a sustainable life. It all does tie in. And when I first met you was at the ASTW lunch and we connected immediately. Firstly, I always, I always being a, I'm not actually an Aussie, I'm a a Spanish in an Aussie costume. I'm from Spain (laughs) is where I'm from in my, in my past life and in my future life. But I, I I just got your accent straight away. And then we kind of dug dug a little deeper and you mentioned South Africa. And um, I had a colleague with me who's, you know, her, her specialty is Africa. So we went down that path for a while and it's remiss of me to say, I've never been to Africa. So if I do, you're coming with me, firstly, okay. <laughs> and then we'll grab Kate Veeling as well from Catch and Travel. So when we were, t- were chatting, you mentioned uh, tra- tra- Tracy's Travel in Time, and then you said you. Um, I really liked this. You have a, you've honed in on an area in travel which is the UK, um, with train travel and and the country that you know really well. But your audience is predominantly from the US. So when I've come from old fashioned. I don't know if that's the right word, journalism in the sense of writing still for newspapers, but it's transitioning as we speak. So I'm right in the middle. And what I loved about meeting you was you were like, oh, you know, don't be afraid of it. Let's go. So you're, you're, I guess that's your teaching sign, your um, thirst for knowledge. You've jumped right into the digital world. So talk, let's talk about that for a while and how that actually happened and now into the podcast world. Okay, well, that that kind of, I suppose, happened accidentally in 2016. And I I was like, you know what, I want to write about the travels that I'm doing. um, Because people was interested, I said the kids that I worked with at school, and people want to know what I'd done and where I'd been. So I just started Tracy's Travels in Time as a let's just start doing a bit of writing. Um, so I did that. We moved to Australia in 2017. So I continued writing a little bit about what it was like to to relocate at an old age, because like I said, we did that at um, you know, 50. I was 50 when I moved to Australia. So um, yeah, so I kind of did that. And then I then I kind of met more uh, travel bloggers in Australia. It's a, it's a, seems to be quite a big thing. It's a really good network. And then I just started learning about how to do it. And um, yeah, just learning all the skills. I still say it was the steepest learning curve I've ever done wow. um, to learn how to do everything. Um, and then um, basically 20, 2019, 2020, we were in the UK and I just thought, let's do a destination site about the UK. So my husband, Doug, he worked on the railways in the UK for 25 years. So he has the knowledge he has about the UK train system is fantastic. Mm. And we went into it to basically solve a problem. So we knew that for Australians and North Americans, uh, North Americans particularly can find that quite intimidating because they're not used to the train system, mm. um, or but transport, but also going to the UK, um, just planning a trip to the UK can be quite overwhelming. So we just started that website in 2020. Then in beginning of this year, we started London travel planning. So we have UK travel planning, London travel planning. Um, and then last year as well, I thought, well, I don't want to just have a website. We want to develop a brand. Mm. Um, so that's when I started the podcast, which is hugely successful. I think um, you're inspired by someone who's a really good podcaster. 
Oh, of course. I'd listen to your podcast. I'd, uh, yes, obviously, Kylie. You said I had a great face for radio, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> you have a great you have a great, great voice for radio. So I saw what I said when I first met you. You really do. No, in our, um, in our industry, we always the TV people always tell us that we have a great face for radio. Oh, uh, um, yeah, well, that's very nice of them. Slightly rude, yes. Um, well, yeah, I want to say. Um, but, yeah, then, um, oh, so... Yeah, then I thought, let me do something with Tracy's Travels in Time. So it's a successful website. It's on Mediavine. It gets all advertising. does really well. But I want to rebrand that. So we're pivoting that now to that to be Global Travel Planning, which is our new podcast series. So we've got Global Travel Planning, which you are a guest on in January, Kelly. We've Excellent. already done that. Yeah, I think you're the first um, one to do a podcast with me. Now, there you go. And uh, it was really good fun. It was good fun uh, recording that with you. So... Um, and about a topic which I'm very interested in, which is about cruising, which that was a good one to do because it's something I've actually never experienced. Um, yeah, so decided to do that off the back of the UK Travel Plan and the podcast, the success of that and rebrand. So so that website will be rebranded next uh, next year as Global Travel Planning to go with a podcast. We're also developing the YouTube channel to go with that. Again, learning new skills all the time. But I think that's that's my thirst as, a, as an educator, as an mm. educator that I still always want to learn something. I was something. just going to say that to you because, like, you've got that brain that just, uh, like, I, I'm inspired by it because when I meet you, I go, oh, yeah, I've got, you know, the elements that you talked about. But I often, I find it difficult, and you just said it's a steep learning curve, to tie that all together um, and outsource. And that's something that you've done really well is you've gone, okay, these are the elements and this is how I'll make them work which is a real educated brain. Um, I don't have that. I'm way more in that creative space. But I think it's a really nice tie-in. And the other thing that I really like what you do is you, you, you seek out knowledge from other people. You go, look, I'm not necessarily a writer or I'm not an interviewer, but I'm learning along the way. And, yeah, so it's almost like you have that kind of methodical digital side on a spreadsheet sewn up and then you're learning the other skills. And that's why I think you and I are a really good... Um, team because I've got the other side but I'm not great at the I'm definitely not good at the, the spreadsheet and the tie together so just in what I've just said then how do you think you cross over like what's some of your tips for people that are like me I guess that have always been journos or storytellers but you've made a business out of this and I'm really intrigued on how you've done that I think the key point is to um, know exactly who you are directing your work towards. So I know that for us, it's over 50s. That's who we're looking at. We're over 50 ourselves. We understand that what's involved because it is slightly different when you get older. Um, we also were kind of... So we looked at that. Who was our avatar? So we, we very, very much did that avatar. Who, who? So you need to know who it is that you're writing for, but also what problem you're solving you need to have. Mm. Because, I do, because we all do it. If you think yourself when you... When you do a search on Google, when you want to listen, you actually want to solve a problem. So you may look for inspiration. And I say that quite often because a lot of the, obviously, the travel journals like yourself, the, the stuff that you write is fabulous. I can't write like that. I've read it and I go, wow, that's amazing. And to me, it's like you guys inspire. But we as as um, uh, with travel bloggers, if you want to say, we kind of solve the problem. We help the people get to that place. So mm. provide the inspiration. But then you need the practical tips and advice about how to actually make that happen. Yeah. So, so what's the yeah. difference between, say, um, a good old, you know, a good old travel agent going in and having a face to face and you guys? 
well we have the expertise so travel agent my i i wouldn't i would not talk about somewhere i haven't been yeah or had experience yeah. of yeah. well that's the same um, with us that's where the crossover is 100 percent. like i don't yeah. write about try very hard by 90 10 rule of writing about hotels or destinations i've never been to like it's not yeah. i don't care so if I, I don't sell the work or i i'd rather not make the money but have the authentic story yeah exactly i think that's the thing so i think with um i mean travel agents absolutely have their place for sure but it, it's if um, you want that expertise. So we do a travel itinerary consultation service as part of our UK travel right. planning. Yeah. So we ask people to put their itinerary together and we spend an hour with them chatting through the itinerary and fine tuning it and maybe some tweaks and maybe some changes if things don't make sense. But we give them advice about maybe things they don't know about. And again, it's that you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> yeah. But we do. Generally, we will know about it, especially when it comes to the UK because you know we have a huge amount of knowledge. An experience um, and that's actually so, that's a good segue to uh, broadening your horizons which you're currently doing right now in Japan and you just did that in New Zealand so Tracy's travels in time which was quite specialized has now rebranded to global travel planning and that's great. which is a great name and it's because you're taking on the world and when you were saying then you know your market see this is where I would get a slap from a school teacher uh, back in the day is well, my market is the world. <laughs> They'd be like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's, anywho, we'll work on that trace together, you and I. But I think what's really good about this now is you've gone global. So you know that you've got an audience. You know that you know what you're doing and the, and the elements to tie that together. Now you've gone global. And you literally are a woman of your word because you've gone to New Zealand and investigated that. Now you're in um, trekking around Japan. Let's talk a little bit about how you land in Japan. I mean, Tokyo is... Something like 2 million, don't quote me on this, people a day go through that train station. Remember I said to you before you arrived, just make sure you get the right exit. Um, and we that was just because we were baffled and it took us an hour to get out. Um, so when you got to Tokyo and you're on the ground and you would have heard a lot of stories before you arrived, how do you navigate your way around and, and where did you go? Uh, well, we have to say absolutely love Tokyo, loved it. And I know a lot of people can find it quite overwhelming because there's so many people, but I just loved it. Honestly, thrived on it and, and Doug loved it as well. Just loved all the people and the noise and the lights and the smells and the sounds and the atmosphere. And uh, yeah, just really loved it. So we spent six days in, in Tokyo. Um, we've, we, it's really interesting because people said it takes it takes a long time to get around. And actually, we found it doesn't take that long, long, lot of time to get around once you're actually on the train. It takes a lot of time to get around to find the to find That's the train. That's the key. That's the key. So there, you'd write about that. Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we've got it. We're, we're already sort of drafting the first article, which is again because we're not experts on Japan. We're not going to say we're experts on Japan after three weeks. We can't be. But what we are experts on is what it's like as a first-time visitor to mm. Japan because mm. that's what we've just been. Mm. So we're just going to write up those things that have struck us that if you're visiting Japan for the first time, these are things that would be useful to know because this, these are things over the last few weeks that we've went, oh, okay, that's good to know. That's you know, And I've got family actually visiting Japan next month, so it'll be really useful for them to have that information too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so Japan, we just, uh, in Tokyo, we kind of just went, we went all over the place, really. We went to Shibuya Crossing because I absolutely oh. Had to do oh, yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, you can't not, can you? Um, I absolutely loved that. 
Um, it was just fantastic. We went to up the sky tree, obviously had a view over Tokyo. That was the thing about, sorry to interrupt you there, but the yeah. thing about Tokyo for me, I'm so visual, is I needed to get up on the, uh, same with Brisbane, believe it or not, I know they're completely different cities, but I have to get in the air to understand the um, geography of the place. Yeah. But I yeah. couldn't find the sky tower. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it is a huge place, isn't it? And yeah, then we, yeah. we, we, um, we actually did a day trip out to Mount Fuji as well, which was fantastic. Many because our, our tour guide was amazing. She was just fabulous. And it was a long day out because the traffic... It was a Sunday, so there was a lot of traffic going out, but there was even more traffic coming back. It took about four hours to get back into Tokyo. So you guys drove, you didn't take a train? No, we, we went on a day tour. Right. We thought about doing the train, but obviously uh, we just thought, let's do a tour with a group that can take us to different places. Yeah, so sure. we yeah. debated that. And I do do tours. I'm very much a fan of doing tours as well. I like small group tours if possible. Private tours ideally, if I can afford them, but again... You kind of well, this is a long trip that we're on, so we're having to do sort of budget. So, uh, we, but it was really good. It was actually one of the highlights of the trip. We we loved that tour because we had to say the most fantastic tour guide, um, and also we had a clear day, so we had a wonderful views of wow, Mount Fuji, which incredible. was amazing. But you guys would have been frothing over the trains over there. The fast trains, oh, are incredible. <laughs> my husband, totally. Yesterday we I came we came back up from Hiroshima to Osaka. He went to, we arrived at the hotel and he bogged off to Kyoto to the railway museum for the rest of the thing. And then I had to check into the hotel and they went, oh, we need your passport. And I'm like, my husband's got it. He's in, he's in Kyoto right now. So luckily I had, I had a picture so I could show it them. But I was like, oh my God. Well, he'd, be right, he'd be writing that story as we speak, Trace, wouldn't he? That story. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, he's going to be writing all about the train. Yeah, yeah he, the, the train. he really enjoyed that. Well, that if there's a, really a country about trains, that is definitely like, as far as futuristic trains go, that country oh. blows my mind. And I often come back to Australia and I go, why can't we have the system that Japan has? And I get all these answers that baffle me. But anywho, I'm sure one day we'll have a fast train from Sydney to you know cans that would be nice now the other one is uh let's let's i did see a post of hiroshima that you you put up and it was so heartfelt it was a few actually it was a collage of of your day there so can you just tell me a little bit about how that felt for you being there yeah i guess it was a bit surreal because um obviously seeing pictures of the dome after you know uh, i don't know it was just the reality of war and the reality hits you when you go to somewhere like the the war memorial the museum and and you see the pictures of those people who were killed um and the children who died and the clothes and it was very hard i think it's a very very hard hitting which it should be um experience so and we're still we're dealing that. dealing with that right now so that would have that other layer to it yeah, it was just, it was just, yes, yes, exactly, exactly, it, totally with what's happening in the world at the moment. It was just, you just feel, yeah, you know, it's always the innocent, isn't it? It's always the innocent that, mm. that, that suffer, the children. Yeah. And so we didn't, we, we came out and I just couldn't deal with going because there's actually the memorial hall and I just didn't want to do that. So we actually went back the next day to go and see that um and i felt i wanted to go back but but that was just that was enough after doing that to just go and i didn't sleep very well and i thought about it and you know it 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 was yeah it was really difficult so and i thought very hard about whether i put something on my instagram about how i felt about it um 
but I, and I just put kind of that statement of really this is a place that you know some of the world leaders that so-called leaders we have at the minute should actually just go and the reality of those those faces you know those children I that think died that's where in social a, media horrific... is 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 a really good tool to get it out there because um, once you put that up I felt the presence of you being there. Not everybody, I mean, you know, tourists, uh, sometimes they just pass on through and, and think about lunch. But um, I haven't been there, but I know that after looking at your story and your feelings of it, that I want to spend the same quality of time there. And if it means you go away and not sleep that night, if that's the worst thing that can happen to you, and then come back and then explore it again and really yeah. feel it. Um, yeah, I think it's really important you post those types of stories. Can't just be all glam, you know. I did actually have a few responses as well, actually through Instagram, saying that that people had felt the same way. Yeah, great. Uh, so, that, so that was good. Yeah. And we we we'd actually purposely included um, Hiroshima Hiroshima into the itinerary for that. I felt I couldn't come to Japan without going there. Again, as a history teacher, I also studied Japanese history when I was at university. So yeah, so I just wanted to just to go and yeah. You're gonna you yeah. you know what you you'll need to do. I mean. You can throw this advice in the bin, but as a writer, you've just been to New Zealand and had a really beautiful experience, organic experience, and you're in Japan now. You're going to have to spend a, a fair bit of time closing yourself away to to write all this and uh, you know get the stories out. Oh, tell me about it because after this, we're, we're, we've got another four months of travel. I'm in South yeah. Korea, Vietnam, Cambodia, which again, obviously, Cambodia is going to be very hard hitting. Uh, things there to deal with. Then we're in Thailand, then we're in the UK, um, and then I'm in, I'm in India in India for uh, five weeks. Um, and then you mean me in Spain? Uh, well, hopefully, hopefully <laughs> I don't. Yes, somebody else. No, no, no. Yes, the answer today. is yes. Don't watch this space. We're going to be okay. So, so today you're in Osaka and you're about to go out exploring. Okay, do you know yeah. much about this city, or do, have you looked on someone else's travel blog? How do you land in this city? No, to be honest, we'd, I haven't really looked at anything uh, because I've, you do. Yes, we, I, I usually will do a lot more planning, but with Osaka, because t- tomorrow we actually fly out, and actually this is a, a bit of a regret because from what I saw of Osaka yesterday, I went, oh, I love it, I love it because it reminds me of Tokyo. It's the bright lights, lots of people, busy, busy, busy. Yeah. Then um, we've only got today, so I'm, I'm kind of conscious of that. So I'm already aware that Osaka will be next time I come to Japan, we will be spending longer in Osaka. And a lot of people have said Osaka is amazing. Um, so no, I haven't read very much. I have an idea of a few places that I want to go to, but I, you know, somebody, I, I was reading something a few weeks ago. Um, on Facebook, somebody said, oh, nobody ever looks at the things to do in. Those are only ever written for SEO. And I'm like thinking, well, I always look at things to do. And I always read travel blogs. And especially now that Google has pushed all the travel blogs like 20 pages down, mm. I will search out the travel blog. Because I, I don't want to look at the adverts. I don't want to look at a video on yeah. TikTok. I yeah. don't want to look at people also ask. I want to actually read what a travel blogger who has been there or yeah. lived there, has spent time there, has got to, to recommend. Because that's... They, that's what I want to know. And, you know, that's interesting because I've been in this industry in and around it for like 30 years from a media perspective, but started in London, so there's a lot of travel there. But I've kind of got to the point now, I think my ADHD may be running out, I don't know, but it's still here somewhere. And I would land in a city exactly like you are today. And, Greg, I'd say, right, or well, one of the boys, let's go, we're off, Speedy Gonzalez. 
but I want to go slow travel next year. Sustainability is hugely important as well. Sustainability comes across from economics, cultural, social to my own sustainability <laughs> and, what yes. I, and what I'm putting in and out of the environment. So it's, I want to go slow next year. So as you know, I'm selling, we're selling our house and we don't know who's going to put the money in the bank and off we go. Um, and our boys are living in Canada. So I checked in with them this morning. I'm like, you guys are cool with the family home going. And they're like, oh yeah, no problems at all. So we've brought up travelers to, to explore the world and they currently are. And one of them's talking about leaving Canada soon, you know, next year and heading to Europe to meet me. So I don't know, Trace, I really like the idea of slow travel where I'm just going to land and just hang out for a few months and, you know, do what you're doing today, but might be just on a train from San Sebastian into Galicia or, you know, San Sebastian into Bordeaux for lunch for the day. But yeah, yeah. so how, how do you think the future of travel is, where do you think it's heading or is it demographic? Is it our age that we're feeling like this? We talked about cruising, things like that. What's your thoughts on the future of travel? Um, I think it's been actually really interesting in Japan. I have to tell you, it's because I've noticed that the majority of travellers, uh, like Western travellers, are over 50. There are some backpackers, um, American, German, we've heard some Australians, but mainly they're actually probably late 20s, early 30s, rather than kind of that 18, 19, 20 age. Mm. But the majority of like, Americans, Europeans, we've heard Australia have definitely been in like mid 50s and older. So it's interesting. Be, that used to be older, like those that, younger and older is what that used to yeah. be. So this middle group of 50, maybe the, the turn of the world, and you know, we're all out of here with the pandemic, whatever, we're all just like. <laughs> Sell the house and off we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think so. And that's something we're talking about as well, is whether we, we can go and re- relocate to somewhere like Chiang Mai for six months and do, you know, do do work on our, our travel business there from there and experience Thailand. To me, being able to live and work in a place is the best way to actually experience it. Um, so being be able to live there for six months and actually really soak in the culture and meet people and is better than just whipping straight through a place really quickly and not being able to, you know, if that's what you can do, that's fine. But I think it's way, it's trying to seek out experiences that are a little bit more... But we're more, also so... Sorry, you go. Experiences that are more... Just a little bit more authentic. But yeah. then I kind of get into that kind of authentic conversation about is like how authentic can it be if it's organized but i think it can be done really well well authenticity is going to be one of those i mean i've always had that as one of my you know integrity care authenticity has been with me all my life but it's going to rise as ai rises and you and i are working on something yes a project per se that is authenticity you know versus ai or combining them together which is how i think they will work but, you know, if, like you said before, if you hone in on, a, on an area of destination, so Australia's a long way away. And there's a lot of Australia experts out there. We have a dear friend who's very good in family travel in Australia as well. And for me, it's Europe because I can, put, like, put myself in a space like Spain and then be absolutely everywhere content-wise in such a, you know, small country. There's so many, sorry, you know, there's so many countries within a continent. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I think you're you're talking about a similar thing in Asia, um, you know, which does Australia is in Asia, whether we like it or not, that's where we are. So you could absolutely add that into your pool too, and uh, try yeah. more. There's so many places to go. It's it's so difficult. I mean, we've got you know Africa at the end of next year definitely is, is on the agenda for a few months. Um, so I've still got a lot of friends in Southern Africa. 
Um, I, I spent a lot of time in Botswana, so I'd like to go back to Botswana. Doug's not been over to Africa, so it's somewhere Sounds like that's like when I'm going to be there then. What, what, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe November, December. We've got to look at that next year. I'm planning uh, my but, itinerary yeah. now, Trace, so watch out. Let's, the arrows, the Sagittarian arrows are pointed heavily in every direction right now. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, there is no stopping me right now. And I'm like, I'm heading to mid-50s as well, but... I've never felt younger in, in the sense of travel. I feel old when I'm sitting in my bedroom doing nothing, but if I'm traveling, I feel young. Oh, absolutely, uh, totally. It's just a, it's, it's a great way. We're so lucky that we have the ability to do it as well. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah. You know, we have a passport, which means that we can travel to places. We have the economic back, backing that we can do that as well. You yeah. know, so and you've made a job out of it, which is, which is incredible, and I really admire that. I'm heading in that direction with you. We're going to keep working together, you and I, because we've got the, the two sides that can cross over. Now, just to finish this podcast, thank you for telling your story. You've got a great story and it begins with um, it begins with travel, education and ends with travel. So tell me a place, it's really quite a hard one and I do this deliberately to people and I don't give them a heads up on it. A, per, a person and a place that inspires you around the world. Now, it could be Mother Earth and the ocean, but is there something off the top of your head that really inspires you as a place? Oh, as a place. And a person. Um, if you've got a person, I'm really intrigued. Oh, yeah. Well, um, Scotland. I love Scotland, particularly around oh, Glencoe. Right. It's, there's just a, something about that area that always speaks to me. I just feel, I don't know, it's so beautiful. And I've been in lots of beautiful places in the world. I was not uh, expecting that. That's really cool. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. And then people. There's been two people. Actually, when I was younger, when I was a child, that inspired me. One was Gerald Durrell, the mm-hmm. writer Gerald Durrell from My Family and Other Animals. So I actually met accidentally in Gatwick Airport when I was probably about 20, 21 and was absolutely gobsmacked and couldn't go up to him because I was too terrified. <laughs> I love this. Um, but I just loved that his, what he was doing to conserve animals in the, the 60s when he realised that we were heading towards extinction for so many animals. Um, so Gerald Dorrell was the first one and that we're talking like when I was eight, nine, ten years of, of age. And then the other one is Michael Palin. Wow. Um, yeah. So I remember watching Around the World in 80 Days and, and everything that Michael Palin has done for travel. Uh, so so those are the two people that I, that I absolutely, yeah, that are my inspiration. Usually my guests stumble and you did it. Ah. So this, this makes me this makes me finish and rounding you off, Tracy Collins, Travel Extraordinaire. You are a podcaster, absolutely. You've nailed it. So you've nailed it with UK Travel Planning. You've now launched Global Travel Planning. And both of those have websites and social media presence. Um, It's been a delight speaking with you today. I can't wait to continue our travels and our education around travel together. Oh, thanks, Kelly. It's been a pleasure being on the podcast today. Thank Thank you. you. Adios.